everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alex Bush. How's it going? I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And uh, yeah, this week we're uh, going to talk about some of the books that we recommend. It, it's interesting just from the standpoint of programming. I mean, let's start with kind of the obvious. We're talking about iOS development. So do you have any favorite iOS books? Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. iOS. I have a favorite sort of a beginner starter book. And, oh, actually, funny enough, I'm blanking out on its name, but it's by uh, Big Nerd Ranch. They they have actually several books, and I think they were like this big shop, uh, Mac OS shop back in the day. And then they also transitioned to uh, iOS development. And the name, uh, let me look it up, uh, Big Nerd Ranch. Yeah, they used to have the Big Nerd Ranch guide. Is that the one you're talking about? Possibly, yes. So it's called iOS Programming. The, yes, the Big Nerd Ranch Guide, 7th edition. So it's already 7 editions of it. It's a great book. Wow. Very thick. Maybe more than 500 pages. It's a good overview of everything that kind of iOS platform offers. Sort of, oh, here's the UI stuff and how you like draw UI and here's networking. That's You can also do networking. That's how you do it. And then store stuff. And then there's, uh, I forgot what else, like audio maybe. It's like a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of topics. Yeah. Oh, and it they cover like, basics of Swift as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like though that it, I'm seeing seventh edition is not, it says this title has not yet been released on uh, Oh, I guess, yeah, that's a pre-order, uh-huh. So yeah, probably then the sixth edition is the one that you can get. Yeah, now. it's probably a sixth edition that you can get now on Kindle or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but then they keep updating it, so that's great. Yeah. So I'm assuming yeah that the seventh edition is coming someday right. soon. And then there was another one. What was it? Coca Coca Design Patterns uh, by Eric uh, Bock. I mm-hmm. think that one is a little older. Two thousand and nine. So yeah, that's a bit older, but that was also great sort of when I was starting. It was a good mm-hmm. book for, well, designs, design patterns overview. I, I have a, other lots of other recommendations of non-iOS books though, but they're useful yeah. for iOS devs as well. So so yeah, so I haven't picked up any uh, iOS books besides the Big Nerd Ranch. And that was a long time ago. I mean, just in programming in general, I mean, some of my favorite ones that I recommend to everybody are things like The Pragmatic Programmer, right, by uh, David Tom- Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt. And I've gotten to know them, know them fairly well over the years. And, and that one, anyway, it, it really just kind of is a, how do I put it? It's a solid career guide, I guess, for you, right? So if you're looking to level up, you're looking to keep your skills sharp, I mean, this book is the book that's going to walk you through it. Yeah, I think I think I never read it. I keep hearing about it over the years, but and it's like the book to read, right? Everyone says. Yeah, they just released the twentieth anniversary edition. So. So wait, so is it is it like um? It's not like uh uh. What's that other book? Uh, soft skills that talks about everything around. Software de- de- development career 
but not about the coding specifically. Uh, soft like skills by similar? John Sanmez. Yeah, is it so, similar, or it's more we'll about like you you want to you know that's how you want to be approaching coding and don't repeat yourself. Yeah, so they talk about don't repeat yourself. They recommend that you learn a new programming language every year. So these mm -hmm. are more coding practices. Uh, John Sanmez is a good friend of mine. <laughs> I've never read his soft skills book. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it helped me a lot back in the day. Especially with the resume, kind of putting together a resume and actually realizing, oh, it's not important. They need to know your name ahead of time. Yeah. He's also got another book that is the Complete Developer's Career Guide. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I'll find I'll find it and put a link to it in the show notes. But I'm actually he actually talks about me in that book. Oh, nice. So you're you're a star. You made it, huh, Chuck? <laughs> yeah, one of my uh past coworkers. It'll put a link to soft skills in the show notes. Yeah, the complete software developer's career guide, how to pr learn programming languages quickly, ace your programming interview, and land your software developer dream job. So a friend of mine, a uh, former coworker of mine, is he actually was reading it and reached out to me <laughs> on through Facebook Messenger. He's like, is this you in this book and i'm like yeah he's like do you know john i'm like well, i talk to him every week <laughs> so, yeah. nice uh yeah that's that's my next next goal to get into be mentioned in the book yeah well so i am editing heavily editing actually hired an editor for my book which is the max coder's guide to finding your dream developer job the reason is it's because I found that there were just enough issues when I tried to read it aloud. So I paid an editor to work on it before and they did a terrible job. And so, yeah, so I'm getting that updated. So that'll be out there soon too. And it's focused on, it's focused on helping people identify the company they want to work for and then, you know, get a job. So, you know, it talks about strategies to meet people who work for the company you want to work for, goes into strategies around how to get noticed how to make contact once you've met people, how to actually network your way into a company. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of focused around that angle, but yeah. Another uh, favorite book of mine <clears throat> uh, is uh, Refactoring by Martin uh -huh. Fowler. I think, uh, I think it was him and a few other people as authors, but that one's just timeless, timeless piece on, on refactoring techniques useful highly recommend for any software developer it doesn't matter what language you use what platform it's fantastic yeah he, he like he walks you through like actually like sort of renaming method right how how do you or, or extracting a method uh -huh. how do you go about it like you have three lines of code that, that you want to move into that method so create a body of the or a signature of the method then create a yep. body and then slowly move it there and then comment out the code that you moved from the place where you moved it from and then replace it with the method call that, of that new method that you created. Make sure it works. And only then delete the final commented out stuff that you moved. It's like to that minutia detail, but it's fascinating. Actually, if you well, don't know, right? Like you, you're an inexperienced programmer. That's fantastic explanation of how to do that. And this is just a simple one, right? There are tons yep. of techniques there. That's the refactoring uh, by Martin Fowler. Mm -hmm. And he has a new edition. Uh, it's, so the original one was written in 1999. 
and or published rather and it's uh, all this code samples are in java i want to say either java yes. or c++ something like that they're they're in java i've talked to martin a couple a couple of times about the book but then the new one is every, uh, in new edition everything's in javascript javascript yep and yes he had a blog post explaining why i still disagree i think he should have still <laughs> picked java yeah but i still have the copy though need to go through it yeah, I think I think they were in Java. I've also talked to Michael Feathers about his working effectively with legacy code. And mm-hmm. those examples are all in Java as well. But that's I mean, also a terrific book, just as far as I've got this code. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know what it does. I don't have tests around it. And it just walks you through how to deal with that. Yeah, and I mean, back then, Java was kind of the most popular language. Yeah, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Up until probably 2015 or something. And these days it's JavaScript likely, just because yeah. we, have, we have so many JavaScript developers these days. Yeah, I was hoping that Michael would redo the book in JavaScript as well. I am I am a fan of JavaScript, so... I need me my objects that, that behave predictably and interfaces, and then I'll like it too. <laughs> it just needs to be more like... It needs to be TypeScript. Script. Yeah. Yes, basically. <laughs> that that would be bad, actually. I'd love to see it in TypeScript. Uh, I, I think a lot of these, as far as like the refactoring, working effectively with legacy code, a lot of these basically walk you through the process of understanding and then reworking your code so that it's more approachable. You know, the soft skills and Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job and soft skills are more, uh, or the complete software developer's career guide are more around kind of the skills you need to find the job you want, level up. Pragmatic programmers is all about leveling up and becoming better. And so it's it's interesting because there are all of these aspects of things that you dive into that give you some, some angle on what you're trying to do either with your career or with your code. But the thing that I think is really interesting about a lot of this is that we tend to focus so much on the technology a lot of times that we miss the other stuff. And then people fail to build the skills that they need in order to be a an effective developer, you know, and a lot of those are soft skills anymore. I mean, if you can't work on a team, then you're kind of out of luck. Right. Unless you do some freelancing solo and that's it. But then you have to find clients that have soft skills anyway. Yeah. Then you have, yeah, it's just a different set of soft skills. So it's funny when I looked up my book on Amazon, somebody gave it a one-star review. I'm like, I wonder what they said. And they were like, yeah, well, basically what it tells you to do is uh, fix up your resume figure out who you want to work for and then stock your future employer. And they thought that that was terrible. And I'm sitting there going, well, I mean, yeah. summed up the book. That's the whole so, point. So I guess, yeah, the, the, the guy read it, right? So that's a good yep. thing. <laughs> yep. But yeah, anyway, you, you were going to... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, so they, then there's a series of uh, my favorites, clean code, clean, clean architecture, and there was another one that Uncle Bob wrote, uh, Design Agile. Patterns. Oh, I haven't read that one yet. I, I need to get to it. It's, it's a new good. one. Uh, the, the old one, the, the Gagania 4 uh, book. Uh, what is it called? Oh, yeah, Design Patterns. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so those are great. Uh, the Design Patterns one, practical, because it's like, I'm, I think examples are in C or C. So it's mm-hmm. a bit harder to understand, at least for me. But right. I, at least it's, 
kind of like with refactoring book, it's code and actual code samples. So you could apply it right away in your job. But then clean architecture, clean code and clean architecture there, especially clean architecture is a very heavy duty book, in my opinion. It's like a brick of th- theory that you have mm-hmm. to absorb and uh, it, it's tough. I had to read it like several times to get it. Because it's a lot, it's all conceptual theory. But then uh, clean, uh, clean code. I mean, it's kind of more practical, I guess. It's sort of about clean code. What, what does it even mean to write clean code? What's the definition? Yeah. And he goes through. Well, one example comes to my mind, or two examples: clear names of variables and methods and functions. They ha- gotta be self-explanatory. If you have yep. to put comments to explain what this does, then it's not named right. It needs to be renamed or maybe even mm-hmm. broken down or something like that. Then another thing, if you have comments just in general, just, yeah, that's that's just code smell, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I had a conversation with uh, Daniel Markham on the Clean Coders podcast and we talked quite a bit about naming things and things like that. He's writing a book, you know, sounds like it's got some similar ideas in it to clean architecture but yeah it's uh, it, it really is down to like communication and how you know how self-explanatory is your code yeah at the level of naming but all the way up the chain right so that you look at you know big chunks of your code and realize okay you know th- this chunk is self-explanatory i look at it and i can i can determine what's going on there and then as i drill in one layer okay, I know what these classes do or these interfaces do or drill in another level and it's okay. I know what these methods or these functions do and then drill in, yeah, down to, you know, naming everything else. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, <clears throat> the you will read your code or other people will read your code way many, way more times than you would write it, right? Yeah. So you, if you, when you make it convenient for yourself to, to write it, doesn't mean it's easy and clear to read it that's the idea and these days i mean they call us engineers but i think uh, someone else said that but 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 i really like it like that sort of definition we're software writers we're not software engineers we write the Mm -hmm. text essentially that then gets parsed by compiler and the machine to be executed yeah and what's interesting there and this is something that came up in that interview with daniel was that it's not necessarily that you're your names are bad, but really what it boils down to is that you you haven't had the discussion around what you would assume that name to mean or what the terminology is or things like that. And so because of that, you're not using shared terminology for your name. You're just making it up on your own and then hoping somebody else can figure it out. Right. And so, yeah, naming is a group process at that point. Actually, a quick side note about it. That reminds me. I, I've been struggling with some naming in my own app that I'm working on. And mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts, Chuck. So I have this list of things, sort of like events in my app that I'm displaying. And uh, each event has a start, a start date and an end date. And I'm basically calculating sort of a progress bar, how many days mm-hmm passed since the start date and how many days left till the end. I'm showing this like progress bar, right? I It's kind of from the domain logic, the domain perspective, those events are things the user is waiting on. Right. 
So since I'm the only dev, I conveniently for myself, because I understand the context, I just called them waitings, which it's not even a word, right? Like Mm -hmm. I just made it up, but it makes sense to me. But then if I give this to someone else to work on in like a year, they'll be like, what the hell? What is this, Alex? Yeah. (laughs) But I do still struggle, though. I I even I I I try to think about it. Like, how would I name it? Still can't. Mm -hmm can't come up with anything better unfortunately yeah i don't know if i have a good answer for you you so, know yeah that's a common struggle for me <laughs> sort of it's, coming up with those, with those names for things well it's a common struggle for a lot of people or they just ignore it and then it's not a struggle but yeah definitely uh, one other one that i've really enjoyed and it's not it's going to be limited i guess utility for lack of a better way of putting it i'm trying to see what the what the title of the book actually is is the SICP book, but it's all uh, functional programming with Lisps essentially. Hey, it was originally published the same year I was, uh, 1979. But yeah, it's the the MIT book that they use for their um, programming classes, and yeah, they they talk about lambda calculus and things like that. But they walk you through the structure. It's structure and interpretation of computer programs, and so it really breaks down the concepts into atomic ideas. And anyway, if, if you want to bend your brain around some programming, I highly recommend it. You can actually get the full book online. And so I'll just put a link to the book and yeah, you can go read it. Do some of the, do some of the uh, exercises with like racket or something. Great stuff. Anyway, so that's one that I'm going to recommend. I have another great recommendation that I just remembered, which is not also not an iOS specific but given the current obsession with Combine and Swift UI, but Combine specifically, this, this would be a great read. So the book is called Reactive Programming with RxJS uh, mm-hmm. by Sergey Mansilla. Uh-huh. So I read it a few years back when I was learning about Rx, Rx in general and Rx Swift specifically, but there wasn't any good book at the time about Iraq Swift. I don't even know maybe if there is any now these days, but uh, Rx, the beauty of Rx, Reactive X, is, is that it's the same API in any language. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That That's why I like it over combined because that combine is a particular implementation that Apple thinks is good, but it's not unified. So your skill set is not as applicable in any language. But if you know Reactive X, you know it in any language, essentially. So yep. they take, they explain all the concepts and walk you through building a fully reactive app, like a true, 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 true function of state, building a game throughout the book. Uh, and the, all the concepts of data streams and how things map onto each other and mm-hmm. all of that, but for the entire app at its core, not some plugin somewhere into some MVC to just you know display things on the screen conveniently or right. do networking conveniently. <clears throat> the whole thing is it's crazy. It's like actually mind bending, if you will, when you think about it, because you you like model the world but in this functional way. It's crazy. So if you can get through it, it's th- a thin book, but a thick kind of content, if you will, in it, you will 
have way better understanding of reactive programming and functional reactive programming. And you probably would think, ah, you know, combine is not a big deal after that. So highly recommend. Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on the Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. Nice. One other one I'm going to throw out is growing object-oriented programming or growing object-oriented software guided by tests. I, I hear a lot of people calling it the Goose book, G-O-O-S, because anyway. But yeah, it's a terrific book and it just walks you through the process of essentially writing object-oriented software guided by tests. Anyway, uh, the ideas in there are really terrific and walk you through kind of the process there as well. Yeah, reactive programming has really gotten a renaissance though, going back to the book that you recommended. I remember when people were just starting to talk about it I know, and it wasn't uh, cool, and now it's cool. In iOS, yeah. you know, and then, yeah, and then it started to get traction there. Around the same time, it started getting traction in JavaScript. And, yeah, now it's a major idea in a lot of applications. I think uh, I think our hardware caught up, finally, because functional yeah. programming is expensive, uh, technically. It's a lot of memory, a lot of CPU, a lot of computations that mm -hmm. wouldn't be happening with OOP, right? But now phones are very powerful, so we right. can afford it, I guess. There was another book. Oh, oh, that that's one of my favorites, all-time favorites. Putter. Practical Objective-Oriented Programming. What is it? In Ruby? Uh, in Ruby. Practical yep. Objective-Oriented Design in Ruby. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, well, we've talked about it on Ruby Rogues. If it, uh, what, what, what's that mantra of Ruby? If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. Yep. I love it. Uh, I mean, Swift people probably wouldn't understand much because we got types and all. Yeah. So, yeah, Ruby does duck typing essentially. So, and JavaScript is kind of the same way. So, if it responds to a method then it, or a function in, in JavaScript, it'll just call it or crash. So, you better write some tests. <laughs> yeah. But uh, concepts there, though, in that book, uh, she, she's using examples in Ruby, of course, but it's all about yeah. objective-oriented programming. Like, your, the object that you're using is a black box, and you just send messages to it, and you don't know what it is. You just send yep. messages, and it's up to that object to decide and figure out what to do. And maybe instead of that object, you have, could have some other object at runtime. You don't really know what you can only rely on is that interface that you use. Yep, it's a terrific book and uh, definitely boils down a lot of complicated ideas into simple ideas. One that I, I don't know if, it, it depends. Let me see if I can find the actual book, but it's the Extreme Programming book by Kent Beck. A lot of people kind of go, extreme programming, you know, and then they make a face or, you know. But the thing that I like about extreme programming and about Agile in general is that effectively, so XP gives you a terrific starting place for agile development. Extreme programming really pushes you to do some things that get you outside your comfort zone. But the flip side of it is, is that from there, then you can start to iterate on your process and start to really hammer down, okay, 
this is working for us. This isn't working for us. This is working for us under these circumstances, right? And so, you know, maybe you're turned off by TDD or maybe you're turned off by pair programming or maybe you're turned off by one of the other practices in there. Um, what I find is that they're all somewhat synergistic. And so what you'll do is you'll get in to start implementing extreme programming. You're going to find that some of it makes you really uncomfortable. And, but if you stick with it for a month or two on your team, and then you start to change up some of the, you know, well, maybe we're going to only get, only get a pair half the time, or you know what, uh, we're not going to mandate TDD, but you have to have tests, you know, or things like that. What, what, what you wind up happening is you wind up figuring out which practices play well together and which ones you can kind of fudge on a little bit and what the trade-offs are for doing it or not doing it. And it really gives you some solid ideas around what you should care about as part of your team's practice. So it's been a while since I've done, um, now I think about it, it's been a while since I've done like a true agile by the book, right? Or extreme, extreme programming specifically. Yeah. Like yep. sit down, pair program, and TDU through the whole entire process, and you have that backlog that was prioritized, and the sprint does not get like it's set in stone. You don't add the work yeah. or remove. No, there is always something. It's interesting too because uh, when I interviewed Bob uh, or Uncle Bob for Clean Coders podcast, the first one we did was uh, Clean Agile. And I asked him point blank, I said, so what, what is agile to you? And of course, he gave me a long-winded answer and then came back around to, well, for me, it's extreme programming. But for another team, it may turn out to be something else. Another, uh, speaking of Ken Beck, another book <clears throat> that I highly recommend is uh, Test Driven Development by Example by Ken Beck. Uses Java as examples, I believe. But it's, uh, I, th I think it's th three sort of major things that you build with him throughout through as you go through the book pretty nice actually um sort of i i really liked some of the thinking process there where what was it i think it was a money example or some sort of a money converter or calculator where through the tdd quote-unquote socratic method of tdd if you will mm -hmm he teases out this whole, I even forgot what it was specifically, this whole new entity in this domain system that you have, the domain of the system that you have, that I would have never thought it would be an object on its own, but it is, and it just works out splendidly then to compute and like implement this whole thing. Right. So I, I, you're like you could definitely tell, like if you're writing this without TDD, like from the get-go, even if you like rewrite the thing three, four, ten times, you probably mm -hmm. will not come up with such a solution. Right. Like no way. Oh, uh, another one is uh, small talk best practices. I never got to read uh, it, yes. so I can't really recommend it, but everyone says it's great. It's terrific. To be honest, I, I hate to admit it, but that's that was the only book ever that I I bought it and it was sitting on my desk and I tried to like go through it five times maybe and every time I couldn't because I don't get the syntax of the language it's just so foreign because I, I, I never ever worked with small talk ever yeah we read it for a book club on Ruby Rogues and there's so much great stuff in it I mean not everything in there is applicable to 
an object-oriented programming language like Ruby, but a lot of it was. In fact, I don't know if people really know this, but uh, Ruby Rogues at the time, uh, so that was James, Avdi, David, Josh, Katrina, and I, we were we were actually going to write a Ruby best practice patterns uh, pattern after that book. So we were we were talking to Pearson and because they you know they own the copyright small talk best practice patterns and you know we were facing a little bit of a potential issue with you know naming Ruby best practice patterns in that same vein, right? And we we talked to Kent a whole bunch while we were you know starting to get things together for the book. And eventually we didn't do it. And the reason was because Wiley wanted to give us like a, I think it was like a 6% commission on each book that we had to split between the six of us. And it just, yeah. That's that's why I self-publish. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, they they very possibly could have sold enough copies to offset. But I mean, they they would have had to sell, you know, like 18 times as many copies as we could have sold ourselves. And anymore, the book publishers are actually looking for people that can promote their own book, uh, you know. And so anyway, I'm not convinced it would have paid off. It probably would have paid off if we had self-published it. But I'm also glad at the same time that I'm not in any kind of business partnership with those folks. Not for any particular personal reason. It's just you know, maintaining a business entity together over that period of time, blah, 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 and blah. And people too, actually, right? Yeah. Sort of, yeah. I mean, if we had done it with Wiley, we all would have had our own agreement with them, right? As far as, you know, they would have just paid us each out as an author. But So, yeah, so we've talked about books for a bit. I'm, I'm kind of curious just to change gears for a minute. What, what are you working on these days? I'm, I'm still working on my, well, besides job interviews. Right. Uh, still working on my uh, uh, screencast or video mm-hmm. course, rather, about system design interviews for iOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically, you know, bi- especially big companies, uh, Ubers of the world, they um, they have this dedicated interview for system design, and mm-hmm. uh, there isn't much information out there on the on the interwebs about iOS specific one because you. If you Google system design, it's always some sort of a backend that right. you're building. And then the client side is an, a little circle and an afterthought. Uh, but <laughs> as an iOS dev, you know that, you know, especially if you have a large team and those big companies, it's not going to cut it. You need a certain architecture in yeah. your iOS client side, iOS app. So that's what I talk about there. Going to take Etsy as an example, Instagram, and uh, Facebook Messenger. Yeah, I'm putting together the iOS remote conference. So that's going to be middle of July. I was going to do it the beginning of June. And then I decided the end of June. And I just didn't have things kind of come together until now. So I was like, well, I need at least 60 days, right? So people can submit talks and stuff like that. So so that's kind of what we're looking at that, uh, on that. But yeah, you've said that you want to speak. So people can pretty much count on that. I wouldn't be shocked if Sujin wants to speak as well. And yeah, I'm going to reach out to a bunch of other folks and see if we can pull together a conference. So Uncle Bob said that he would speak at the end of June. So I just need to follow up and make sure that mid-July works for him. And then I'm also putting together conferences right now. The other conferences I have websites up for are React Native and Rails. 
And then I'm also going to put on an online podcasting conference at in 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 November. And that kind of got I, I almost pushed it back and then I decided just to go for it. But the big podcasting conference, podcast movement, they just moved their dates back to the end of October. And so they'll be like two weeks before before my conference. But nice. anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm putting that together and then I'm looking at pulling together uh, conferences for the other shows that we have. So that would include .NET, DevOps, Angular, React, and Vue, Elixir. I'm probably, I'm missing a, a handful of them, but you kind of get the idea. So, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to basically plan on doing those every year. And so I'm also then working on a video course on how to run a conference, an online conference, and I'm working on training my team on how to do it so that I can kind of provide the technical expertise for picking the speakers and things like that, or have uh, my co-hosts or hosts on the various shows, you know, help pick the speakers and then turn around and, you know, make the most of that stuff. So, so yeah, so that's what I'm looking at. And then I'm doing some stuff in the podcasting space beyond the conference, but not really diving into that. And I've got another thing that I'm working on that I'm not really ready to announce yet, but I'm hoping to have launched this summer. So shall we right. wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap up. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community, and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clavo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET, and there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET-focused or Microsoft-focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T, adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. I'm just going to throw it out there, though. iosremoteconf.com is where that conference is at. All right, let's wrap up and do some picks. I guess we've done picks for like the <laughs> whole show. So unless you have something else you want to shout out about. I do. Robert Heinlein. My favorite author uh, as of late. I'm reading a second book now. Um, there is Time for Love. I believe that's the name. Uh -huh. So he's, I think he, yeah, I think he mostly wrote some like space novels and fantasy mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that, that's one of those. The humanity is like 2,000 years in the future. Humanity colonized a bunch of planets in the galaxy and, you know, everyone's doing different things on those planets because you can't really keep it all together as like one country at all uh, at that point. Very interesting. A lot, lots of sort of explorations, philosophical and more sort of scientifical into biology, genetics, cloning, all, all of those things. Very interesting. I think actually now, now I'm thinking about it. I think I, I picked it already, that book. Uh, on the previous episode but now i guess i'm picking the author because i also got three more books from him now oh nice yeah for me um i've been playing a lot of breath of the wild uh, that zelda on the switch i've been enjoying that so i'm gonna i'm just gonna shout out about that yeah it's kind of my guilty pleasure i guess when when i'm doing stuff that's not work stuff so yeah all right well this was fun let's go ahead and wrap it up and until next time max out everybody bye
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.